Hey, it's Pastor Mike. A really small step that could be a really big blessing to our ministry and to the kingdom of God is you taking just a second to rate and review this podcast. You probably know how algorithms work. More people get to hear about this podcast and most importantly, hear about Jesus when you do. So thanks for helping us out and may God bless you today. In April of 1992, a man named Reginald Denny was driving his 18-wheeler through the town of Englewood, California, when he accidentally drove through a major riot that was taking place. He didn't know what was happening, but he ended up right in the middle of it, and he came to a stop at an intersection where a number of people who were rioting, who did not know Reginald Denny, they, uh, they went up to his truck, they opened the door, they pulled him out, and they started beating him. And they beat him badly. And they continued to beat him badly. There were news crews at the place where the rioting was taking place, and so they were showing live video footage of what was taking place during, uh, during all these riots. And there were four individuals who were watching on their televisions who saw what was happening to Reginald Denny, and they came to help him. They came to help him. They took him to the hospital, and in the hospital, he was in such bad condition that he suffered a seizure. They evaluated him, and his skull had 91 fractures. His eye was damaged. He ended up with permanent eye and brain damage but he lived. Eventually, the police were able to identify and arrest a number of the individuals who did that to him, and it went to trial. And after going through the trial, the charges were dismissed. They were dismissed. Everybody who heard him, they were free to go. After the verdict was announced, Reginald Denny got up from his seat, walked over to the other side of the courtroom, where the mother of one of his attackers was. He gave her a hug. Gave her a hug. A couple of months later, a prominent talk show host at the time, Phil Donahue, invited Reginald Denny onto his talk show, and on the same set was one of his attackers. And Phil Donahue asked Reginald Denny, is there anything you would like to say to him? He said, yeah. I forgive you, he said. And that, my friends, is why a whole lot of people don't want anything to do with Christianity. Because that doesn't seem right. When someone gets hurt just to... treat the people who did that to you as if... it didn't matter. And that's, and that's once. I mean, what if, what if like a year later, they did the same thing again, just for kicks, because it was the anniversary of this big monumental moment that ended up on the news. Everybody went to hang out at the same location and find the same person. And what if they did it again? You think Reginald Denny should forgive them again? You think he should go find their mom again and give her another hug? Look him in the eyes after they hurt him again and said, say, I forgive you again? It's a good thing to forgive, but shouldn't there be a limit? That's a question that's on a lot of people's minds, certainly nowadays, as one thing in common is we all sometimes get hurt by someone. And sometimes the hurt is ongoing. Sometimes it happens again and again and again, and the Bible talks about forgiveness and what a great gift it is and what a powerful difference it makes when we do forgive, but there's, there's a hurt that comes along with the process of forgiving. And so, 
with our limited ability to, uh, <laughs> to take things as they come, should there be a limit on how often on how often we extend forgiveness? Back in Jesus' day, the rabbis of Jesus' day, they thought, well, yeah, there should be a limit. It's like they thought sometimes people hurt you accidentally. And for that reason, they thought if, if somebody hurts you up to three times, you should forgive them up to three times. But one day, Jesus' disciple Peter comes up to Jesus and he says to Jesus, well, Jesus is... What if I do a little bit more than that? And he, and he more than doubled it, he said. He said up to seven times? Should that be the limit? Should that be enough? And Jesus gave an interesting answer. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. We don't actually know if he meant literally 77 Seems more likely that Jesus was using some good biblical symbolic numbers just to emphasize that our forgiveness towards those who hurt us should be unending. It should be unending. No matter what they did, no matter how much pain they afflicted, that we should forgive and forgive and forgive. And that's a hard thing to put into practice. Jesus knows that it is too. But it's a beautiful thing when it is. And you know that. Just for a moment, think of yourself. What's your biggest regret? Can you picture the person in your life that you've hurt most deeply? you can, then picture someone different. Picture Jesus hanging on the cross. Picture him opening his mouth to say something. Picture his eyes looking in your direction. And then imagine that out of his mouth comes the words, Father, forgive them. And know that he meant it. No matter what you've done, no matter who you've hurt, no matter the consequences that anyone has to live with, you are forgiven. God loves you. It is the greatest gift that anyone has ever given you. And it is a powerful gift when we give it to those who have hurt us. We'll talk about how to do that this week. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus' disciple Peter asked Jesus how often how many times should we forgive someone who sins against us? And Jesus said, well, Peter suggested up to seven times. That seems like a lot. <laughs> Jesus said, well, at seven, you're just getting started. Not seven, but up to 77, he said. And, and then he went and told a story. So bear with me. It's a bit of a, a longer story, but this is what Jesus said. He said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 
Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus finished by saying, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So the point of the story is pretty simple. A man owes another man a very significant debt. Just imagine the next three months of your paycheck that you earn. And that's roughly what, what this man owed another man. And, and of course, the man didn't have three months of paychecks all saved up, so he didn't have the debt. And so he threw him into prison, which seems like uh, until he could repay the debt, which seems to be a very reasonable thing to do. It was a pretty significant debt. It seems reasonable until you see the bigger picture. That this man who had just thrown this person in prison for owing three months worth of salary had just been forgiven the equivalent of what it would take him over 1,800 years to make. He had been forgiven this massive debt, and yet he was still holding on to this much smaller debt. And of course, three months' debt is very significant. Three months of salary, I mean, that's, that's, not a, that's not a small thing. Just like the ways that people hurt you, the ways that people sin against you, the ways that people inflict pain in your life, that's, that's not insignificant. And Jesus isn't calling it insignificant. He's just saying that as we decide how to handle the people who hurt us, keep in mind the bigger picture. Keep in mind the bigger debt that God has already forgiven us. A debt that we could never pay back. Forgiveness for every sin you have ever committed, that you will ever commit. The ones that other people know about, the ones that you know about, and even the ones that only God knows about. It's all forgiven. And Jesus wants there to be consistency. And that should have an impact on how we forgive others. How we forgive should be modeled after how God forgives us. And how does God forgive us? Ask the woman at the well that Jesus met one day. Ask Peter. After Peter denied Jesus three times, just a few hours after promising he would never do such a thing even once. Ask the woman who had been caught in the sin of adultery and brought to Jesus. Or ask the thief on the cross. They know how God forgives. Graciously, freely, and completely. You are forgiven.
I once had a summer job while I was back in high school and college where I was doing lawn care on a school campus. And one of my jobs was to use a very high powered uh, edger, weed, weed, weed eater kind of thing. It was uh, such a big thing that it had this whole like strap contraption thing that I, harness thing that I had to wear that had a, a clip on the side that it, it attached to. So, so it would always be clear, but it had a sign on the back. The sign on the back said, danger, stand clear 300 feet. <laughs> but by the time, uh, by the time I ended up wearing this, it had been worn so many times that the D on the word danger had been like rubbed off or scratched off or faded in the sun or something. So instead of saying danger, stand clear 300 feet, it said anger, stand clear <laughs> 300 feet, giving anyone walking by the impression that you were, uh, you were observing a very angry person and you want to stand clear of them. That, um, I didn't feel I was particularly angry <laughs> when I had that job, but it makes me think of forgiveness. And what it does to us when we don't forgive someone. Somebody once said something to me of the, to the effect of, you know, forgiveness isn't so much releasing another person from what they did to you. It is releasing yourself from being owned by what they did to you. When we refuse to forgive, we can hold on to a lot of anger and a lot of bitterness. And that isn't such an easy place to live. It is hard to be free from that. But, but scripture gives us just some good guidance on how we can take the first steps to being free from it for the sake of ourselves. You know, some people sometimes wonder, how can I forgive if I can't forget what they've done? Uh, they have this idea that you're supposed to be able to forget what they did. And then once you can forget it, then you can live like it never happened. But, but that's not how the Bible talks about forgiveness. Just think about one of the greatest examples of forgiveness in the Bible. Genesis chapter 50, Joseph. Joseph had brothers who had sold him many years earlier. They sold their brother made a profit off of his life and then were thinking they were never going to see him again. And then they meet up later on, later on in life. They come back together while Joseph is uh, in a very high position in the nation of Egypt, saving many lives, doing a lot of great things. And his brothers walk in and, and they reconnect. And then they bring the whole family to Egypt to live there until uh, a worldwide famine is all, is all done. And Joseph's father dies. And then the brothers, after the father die, after he dies, they're a little bit nervous that now Joseph is going to let him have it because he, he must be holding on to a grudge for what we did. And this is what happened. Because when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. Which... It seems they made up that message, but they sent it anyway. When their message came to him, to Joseph, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And then he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. One thing he noticed about Joseph is that he didn't forget. You intended to harm me, he said. And they did. They, they intended that they would never see their brother again. They intended to sell their brother and they followed through with it. They intended to hurt him and they didn't even think about the impact it would have on their father or their mother or anybody else. They intended harm and Joseph did not forget. How could he? But in addition to not forgetting something, he also chose to remember something. He said, well, you intended for, you know, you intended this for harm. The next two words are really significant. But God. 
but God was bigger than it. But God did not allow their awful motives and their awful actions to undo any of the great plans that he had for Joseph. They intended to hurt him, God intended, but God took what they did and he overcame it by helping millions. God's ability to take care of Joseph was not dependent at all on how his brothers treated him. God was still able to care for him. And the same is true for you. God's ability to care for you is not at all dependent on what other people do to you. God will still care for you. And that's where Joseph was coming from. He remained confident in his God's ability to care for his life, no matter what anyone did to him. This is why, in a sense, it's not necessary for someone to say sorry before you, in your mind, forgive them. If that's what you're waiting for, if you're waiting for somebody to come to you before you release your anger, if, um, or before you set yourself free from your anger, if you're waiting for somebody to come to you and say, I'm sorry, to acknowledge that they hurt you, that they did something wrong, and if you remain in your, in your bitterness and your upset feelings until they do that, you're saying that your future and your happiness is totally contingent on that person instead of on God. And Joseph didn't want to do that. There are too many risks. It's too unpredictable. And you never quite know for sure if you're going to have the opportunity to have a conversation with somebody who's hurt you. He went with the thing that was steady and predictable. That was his God's ability to care for him. And that's what forgiveness is. It's being confident in God. It's also important to note what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not pretending that what they did never happened. It's not that at all. Remember, Joseph didn't pretend. He knew. It's not even saying that what they did was okay, which is what it sometimes feels like. But Joseph didn't say that either. He pointed out right away, you guys, you guys intended this for harm. It's not, any, it's not either of those things. It's just reminding yourself that God is bigger than it. That the God who loves us and cares for us will continue to love us and care for us no matter what happens. And he knows that's not an easy thing to put into practice. I mean, Joseph isn't the only one who couldn't forget what somebody did to him. How could Jesus? As he hung on a cross, as he bled under the ground beneath him, as he tried not to rub his whipped open back up against the splinters on the cross on which he was hanging. He didn't forget either. But he knew in that moment he had a choice. And he chose to put his life into the hands of his Father in heaven and to follow the guidance that he had given him to forgive, to love, to sacrifice, believing it was the better thing. And you know it was, not for him, but for us. We have peace. The peace of knowing that God is with us. No matter what we've ever done to him, we are safe with him. 
And if you can give that same message to somebody who has hurt you, they'll be far less likely to hurt you again. If we're talking about forgiveness, it means you've been hurt. And to put that hurt in perspective and how to deal with it in a biblical way, I'd like to share with you something that a friend of mine shared on social media recently. I, I haven't been able to find the ultimate source of it. I don't know who invented it. I don't know where it came from. And maybe you've seen it too because it's been making the rounds on social media at least recently. But it was about the life of the Apostle Paul. And you might know the story of the Apostle Paul, one of the maybe the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. Traveled around, starting churches, telling people about, about Jesus, preaching the good news of the resurrection and forgiveness, and, and he's just a tremendous job. Monumental difference maker. Wrote 13 books of the Bible, 13 books in the New Testament, just incredible Christian. But you may know that before he loved Jesus, he hated Jesus. Before he helped the church, he literally tried to kill it. And then one day, while he was in that stage of his life, he was, on his, he was on the road one day walking along when suddenly Jesus appeared to him and surprised him with the news that the God that he thought he was serving and loving was very unhappy with what he was doing. And that turned his life around, which is very surprising to those who knew him. They saw him doing something entirely different and something that they did not expect. I mean, uh, Christians who, who had heard about this, this Paul who was spreading the gospel, they were very skeptical. It's like, is he trying to trick us? Is he playing some kind of game that he's, he's going to pretend that he's our friend and then he's going to... But it was legit. His life completely turned around. It was surprising. But it wasn't the last surprise that anyone would see in connection with the life of this person. And here's the social media post that, that my friend put on. They, uh, it refers to a time later on in Paul's life. The moment when he walked into heaven. And they wrote this, they said, the Apostle Paul entered heaven to the cheers of those he martyred. To martyr someone means to kill someone on account of their faith in Jesus. The Apostle Paul entered heaven to the cheers of those he martyred. The people he hurt the most. The people he knew he hurt the most. We're happiest for him. And maybe that is surprising. But my friend went on to say, that's how the gospel works. And it is. That's how the gospel works. That is the good news of a Jesus who came and forgave. Even people like Paul. Even the people who've hurt us even us, when we're the people who have hurt others. That's how the gospel works, and it was enough to give this world someone that they did not see coming. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is on one of his missionary journeys, and he goes into the city of Athens, and, and he looks around, and he sees all these different statues to all these different gods, and, and it says that he's greatly distressed by it. Because in seeing all these statues to gods that they were worshiping, I mean, they were worshiping, they were religious, they were devoutly religious, but 
they weren't living with the good news that he was able to live with. And so it says that as he was greatly distressed and he went in and started preaching, he started preaching the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. And that's what he did over and over again and again. And the world never saw it coming. You think of the people who hurt you, or you're having a hard time forgiving. Maybe it's impossible for you to see how they could ever turn it around, how they could ever be anyone different or feel any differently about what they did to you. Just remember Paul was like that too. And then the good news changed him and he surprised everyone. Share the good news with someone. The good news of Jesus, forgiveness, and the resurrection. By doing that, you might give the world something they did not see coming. Forgiveness is a difficult thing to put into practice, so I'm going to give you two pieces of advice on, on how to do that very difficult thing. Firstly, if a person knows that they hurt you, if they know that they sinned against you, if they are well aware of it, then do not wait another moment to go up to them and tell them that you forgive them. Even if they haven't said sorry. Go and tell them that you forgive them. And if they ask you, why are you saying that? Then say, because God's forgiveness makes me feel safe with him. And I want you to know that you can feel safe with me too. That second part is especially important because somebody who feels safe with you is far less likely to ever hurt you again. And so you can take the initiative there and create that safe space by telling them that you forgive them. That's the first piece of advice. Second piece of advice, if someone does not know that they have hurt you, or if someone doesn't believe that they have done anything that is, that is wrong, then absolutely do not go up to them and say that you forgive them because then you'll just come across as being arrogant and that won't heal anything. Instead, be curious with that person. You know, like, ask them questions about their life, what they like to do, where they like to go. Ask them for their advice on things that are really, really important to you. And then take that advice seriously. Put it into practice. Be curious about them. The reason this is important is because the opposite of curiosity is indifference, not wanting anything to do with that person. And I think you know from your own experience in the same world in which I'm living that there's enough of that going on already. Enough people already in the world who have given others around them that they don't want anything to do with them, that they're the wrong this, they're the wrong that. There's enough indifference. Be curious about them. And then maybe someday down the road, you'll have an opportunity to do for that person what a, a woman named Ruth once did to a man named John. It was 1963. And Ruth's brother was murdered by a man named John. John was caught. He was found guilty. He served 18 years in prison for what he did. When he was released from prison 18 years later, Ruth was waiting for him. She contacted him and asked John if he would like to have dinner with her. And he agreed. 
not knowing quite what was going to happen. And they sat down for dinner at a nice place and Ruth looked across the table and said, John, I want you to know that I forgive you for what you did. And then after dinner, she asked John if he would mind going to the hospital with her. He said, okay. They went to the hospital and that's where Ruth's father was. Ruth's father was dying. And they walked into his room and then Ruth's father looked at John, the man who had killed his son, and said the same thing. I forgive you for what she did. A number of years later, that same John was giving a speech in front of a lot of different people and he shared that account and got incredibly emotional as he was talking about it. And then he said this. He said, Christians are the only people who you can kill their brother. You can kill their son. And they still treat you like a member of the family. But of course, Christians didn't invent that. Our God did. Apostle Paul talks about that in one of his letters in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he's talking about reconciliation, you know, people who are at odds coming together again in, in a good way. And he says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you notice that? God made him who had no sin to be sin. In other words, the burden isn't yours to carry anymore. Jesus took all of it on his shoulders so that we could not only be forgiven, but go tell the world that it is too. Christians are the only ones even have the ability to do that. Go make a difference in the world, my friends.